Hi, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. And I'm Molly Williams. Join us as we take you on a musical journey of 40 years, 14 albums, countless great songs, and lots of great Duran Duran memories. From the band's self-titled debut album in 1981, through to the Paper Gods release in 2015, and, fingers crossed, a new album in 2021, the Duran Duran Albums podcast celebrates each of the studio albums while telling the story of the band. We chat through each album track by track, pick some of our favourite songs and memories from when the album was first released, and ask podcast listeners to give us their thoughts on each record. And we'll also have interviews with other Duran Duran fans throughout the course of this series, as well as extra episodes on everything from non-album songs, favourite gigs and the band's various side projects. So while you might want to save a prayer till the morning after, listen to the podcast now. Subscribe, spread the word, and celebrate 40 years of great music on the Duran Duran Albums Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined on the Duran Duran Albums podcast by Andy Golub, who is a Duran Duran archivist, an author, and known to fans worldwide as Durandi. And Andy also has the proud boast of having the best collection of Duran Duran memorabilia in the world, his world-famous archive, which many fans have already visited. Andy's just released his third book, an update edition of Beautiful Colours, the posters of Duran Duran, which is a 300-page art book charting the band's career through rare posters and that book is available for you to order and to buy via amazon.com now don't just take my word for it that it's a good book and i'm sure andy will tell you how good it is there's been endorsements from no less than two members of duran duran nick rhodes writes the foreword from the, for the book which is so impressive and he states that andy has amassed the largest known collection of duran duran posters in the world it's an unprecedented visual diary of her career, spanning more than three decades, encompassing advertising artwork, fashion, illustration, photography, and graphic designs. He's gathered multiple international variations of album posters, scarce screen prints, obscure hand-signed ephemera, and posters for live shows that I had forgotten we'd ever played. And just to add to those words, the other member of Duran Duran, the other founding member of Duran Duran, John Taylor, has said the book is a must for all Duran fans and then some. Andy, I have to say, as endorsements go for a book, they do not come any better than that. <laughs> I know. I'm still, I'm still processing it all. And I have to tell you, I really didn't think there was any way for those endorsements to get any better. But then hearing it in your accent, I'm done. Okay, drop the mic. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm available if you want to do any voiceover adverts for your book. <laughs> It's great. Oh, this is so kind. But I mean, obviously, the you know, a lot of people will know you in the Duran world as Durandi. I mean, what a brilliant coincidence that it just kind of rhymes with you with your name. It's almost written in the stars. But you know, the the fact that it's your passion as the band, you've amassed this incredible archive. But then for the members of the band to see what you've done and for it to appeal to them and resonate with them, I suppose that just kind of validates everything that you've done and everything you feel about the band and the music. I could not ask for any greater wind in my sails, honestly, to have the band feel as if they can trust me with their reputation, their brand, to throw their voice behind me and 
it is, it is an incredible pleasure and a privilege to earn that. And also to, to have the fans climb behind me. I mean, you know, Duran Duran fans are remarkably uh, discriminating in a good way. They know, uh, the, you know, they, they look for the high quality, the right caliber of memorabilia. I mean, Duran Duran has always cared a lot about what they put out uh, to the fans and the fans are used to that. So for, for Duranis to regard my book as a collector's item, uh, to just be snapping it up and to giving, be giving me these glowing reviews. It's insanely special and touching. And I'm just forever grateful. I mean, it makes me feel like I'm really making a difference. And uh, there's no greater endorsement than I could ask for uh, than the voice of a, of a Duran Duran fan who wants my book for their very own. Because, I mean, I, I think anybody who's ever worked in a book or ever tried to put a book together, there's so much effort that goes into it. But then, as you say... When people, the very people that you hope that will appeal to, they start responding to it, not only in getting the book, but with giving you the feedback that they have, it becomes so worthwhile then and you think you've done a really good thing there. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it takes a lot for a self-published author uh, to put something out there. There's a lot of vulnerability. There's so many obstacles to overcome and, and to have a book actually be out there and to have fans respond in a positive way. I mean, it's, now, I wanted to create something that was more than just a book to go through and, and, you know, just filled with pretty pictures. I wanted an experience. I wanted to connect with the common thread that runs throughout a global Duran Duran fan community. The memories, the experiences, the connections, all playing out against the backdrop of one band's music. Everybody views their life through a, a, the similar lens. Uh, what they were doing when Big Thing came out. Uh, which concert tour they you know, met their significant other during. I mean, that's how we are. That's how we hang, all hang together. So I wanted a book that celebrates that, that touches on every person's stories and everybody can kind of see themselves in this history. It's not, it's not just the band's history. It is all of ours. We're sharing that. We're, we were there during various years. That to me, you know, it keeps me connected to my own story. And there's nothing more profound than connecting on that common level. And how, how did you feel when you got the forward from Nick Rhodes? I think I spent uh, several days in rehab. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, I think I distinctly remember it might have taken about uh, three years uh, to get, but <laughs> it was what worth every minute. And to have Nick actually want to do that. I mean, just, you know, he is such an incredibly diverse uh, richly textured personality. I mean, he is just always thinking forward, always pushing the envelope, exploring sonic, new sonic ground and, and audio frontiers. It's, it, he's an amazing man. And uh, to have him throw his, his support behind this book and to write something so touching and so personal, it really was just a very visceral experience, very emotional because of his artistic visual nature, he's always resonated to, to a great extent with me. And so, I mean, it's, it, was a, it was huge. It was a huge feather in my cap. One of the many things that I, I love about Duran Duran is it connects me back to being that teenager. And I actually, I figured out the, the actual day in 1981 when I bought my first Duran Duran record because it was the day after they'd appeared on Top of the Pops in, in Scotland for the first time. So it was, it was uh, Friday, March the 6th. 1981, I went to the local record shop and bought Planet Earth. So that things like that are, are lovely. But also, 
you know, I'm in Glasgow in Scotland. You're just outside Seattle in the United States. Obviously, the wonders of Zoom have connected us uh, literally, but it's actually the the Duran Duran connection that is the reason why we are talking. And I just think that's a, that's a lovely thing. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, that that's one of the things. It's just it's it's carried such a a powerful impact with me is you know the, the geography, uh, cultural differences, uh, language barriers. It all melts away under this huge passion. It just crosses generations. It's just it's it's amazing, and it's it just fuels my path, and it keeps me focused on what matters the most is drawing people together, rallying. Uh, you know, one entire planet under a single flag of, of Duran Duran devotion. And, uh, you know, whether you're in Scotland or Las Vegas, I mean, there's something in common, something we have to talk about, something to share. It's like, oh my God, that's your favorite album too? Oh, I love the look of the Ragged Tiger album. And I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And these are the things to me that make life, it kind of slows life down and it, it focuses the most fragile, most beautiful elements uh, of our of our lives into this one thing that we can get our, our hearts around. It's like, these people, they're my tribe. You know, I, I keep on hearing that from people when they visit my archive or when they get the book, when, when they're at a concert, especially, they are suddenly around people that share this passion. And a lo- there's a lot of people that have grown up not feeling accepted or not being able to touch base with people, uh, those who understand them, parents, boyfriends, husbands, and, and they feel so alone and isolated. But then they, when, they, when they go to a Duran concert and they're around their people, around fellow fans, it's like they have landed in a safe place. It's like, this is where I belong. These are the people that understand me. It is so, and I share that. I absolutely share that. So, yeah, I mean, you get it. And I love the fact that you get it. Because one of the things I've now, uh, just from talking to you, I've now got it uh, top of my list of things to do when the world reopens after the pandemic is uh, I need to come and visit your archive at some point. (laughs) Oh, I'm so ready for you. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. I roll out the red carpet. It'll be just amazing. Complete time travel, emotion. And everything. I mean, I, I want you to regress as quickly as possible into that young Paul that's just standing there in the record store holding the first edition of Planet Earth. I mean, what went through your mind? What, would, what, what happened to you? Like your molecular structure, how did it shift? I mean, oh my God. And what was that like? That's you know, what I want to hear about. Do you know, it's funny because I don't know, you know, when you first heard the band, but I just always, you know, on a Thursday night in the UK, Top of the Pops was what, what we all watched. And that's, you know, all the music in the charts. And it was just at that period where, you know, you're starting to forge. It was only about 13, 14. So you're starting to forge your own musical tastes. And then they come on. And I couldn't tell you why. But, you know, sometimes you just hear a piece of music and it just something clicks and nothing's ever the same. I used to pass the record shop every day going to and from school. And, you know, as soon as school was finished that day, that's I went straight in and bought the record, went home. And just, you know, that way, especially in the old turntable, you would just play the record, needle to the start, play the record, needle to the start, play. And that was just the whole night to the point where my parents are saying, have you not got any other records to play? That is such a beautiful experience, Paul. I mean, I love hearing that. It, it, it returns me to the just the most basic ex- the elements of growing up Durrani. You know, before there was internet, before there was like social media. I mean, we really put in the time to just, we, we, what we were talking earlier about making mixtapes, 
uh, you had to, you know, stress about, you know, capturing the, the Duran Duran song on the radio without the DJ uh, you know, cluttering up the uh, talking over the beginning and the end. Uh, when we would go into record stores and browse for imports, when the, the, the visuals were just as important as the music, the record sleeves, oh my God, Duran Duran, Bowie, George Michael, the Giants. I mean, it was such a time. And to hear about, you know, what people went through when they were, you know, going to the record shops, shopping for the buttons and the merchandise, uh, trying to find some way of expressing and exploring this newfound devotion, this affection for Duran Duran in a very exotic band, uh, oftentimes from across the, the, the other side of the world. American fans, they wanted to know more. This is how our minds and our horizons got broadened. And I had no idea about any of the places where they were filming videos. I learned about all, all the exotic locales, Montserrat and Antigua. It's like, what the, you know, uh, Simon's lyrics. There was such formation happening as we were evolving. We were, as You're right, as we were growing up, finding our own identity. I mean, there, there was so much of that that was going on. We had no, Duran Duran was our introduction to uh, sexuality, Evolution, I mean, as we were growing up, we grew up with this band. They introduced us to music and lyrical depth and texture. And I mean, it's just, there's so much that happened. Duran Duran is not just a band. I mean, to so many, it is a, it's a lifestyle. It's a coming of age. So for you, what would be, what would have been that moment for you? What was the first time you heard Duran Duran? And what song was it that kind of just put that light bulb on in your head? It has to be the reflex. I mean, I, it, it, the reflex is a song, and I think I love thinking about this every sim- single time I'm asked. I think about some other different aspect to when I was sitting there. It was in the oh my gosh, it was it was in the parking lot of Tower Records, and I was listening to the whole uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger album, uh, completely mesmerized by the album cover and, and just the sound, the, the lyrics. But the, when I heard the reflex. It was Nick's soaring synth arrangements. It was Simon's distinctive vocals that were just carrying me on this audible journey. I mean, it was just, oh, I, I was absolutely enthralled with it. And the chorus, I mean, it just, not a day has passed. I still react this way. I get almost like cold sweats. It's like, oh my God, they're coming to the chorus. And I just want to say, I sing along and I long to hear my fellow fans joining with me. The reflex just seemed to encapsulate everything that Duran Duran represented at that time. And of course, the, the video for the reflex just personified everything that my mind conjured up. This image of this powerful energy flowing between the seats and the stage, the fans just exploding with amazing love and adoration for this band that had just adorned their bedroom walls. And the band couldn't even hear themselves play, but they just played it on. There's a connection between icon and audience. It's so much wrapped up in one song. It's just, it's beautiful. And of course, the lyrics are deep and I connect with them. An only child waiting in the park. I mean, oh, it's, oh my God, look what you're doing to me. What am I, what am I doing? Because <laughs> you know the thing I always find curious, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, of, you know, there's loads of bands and loads of music from the 80s, from that period that I loved then. And when I hear, I hear their songs now, I still love them anyway. But it's kind of one of those things I can't quite put my finger on why Duran Duran were elevated. Now, part of that is I think the quality of the songwriting is just at a level that I don't think any of those other bands at the time were able to match or sustain because they're still doing 
the work they're doing now is still as good as ever. But there was just something about their music, and it was, I think, just kind of what you were touching on. It's more than just the music, that it becomes part of who you are as an adolescent, and that never leaves you then as part of your identity. Absolutely. There's so much of Duran Duran that Duran fans carry around with them. Uh, lessons learned and shared experiences with, with the band, with the other fans, uh, meeting the members or, or seeing their own life events and milestones reflected in the lyrics. I mean, it makes every Duran Duran song personal. I mean, it's just, it becomes a part of us. There's so many people that have echoed the sentiment that you know, Duran Duran have given me the soundtrack to my life. I can't think of anything that fits it more appropriately. And as far as why I'm so proud to be a fan and why the, the longevity of the band and this hugely, fiercely loyal fan following, Duran Duran are quintessential artists. They play their own instruments. They write their own music. But they've always had a very acute sense of where they are, where they want to go, who they want to be. It's remarkable. And I think that that has stood the test of time. There's no one Duran album that sounds like any other. They refuse to stand in the same place sonically. I mean, the Rio album and Medazzaland, I mean, two opposite ends of the spectrum. And that is what gives them the motion. They are a constant band in motion. Every, every one of the artists has a role to play and it all comes together in beautiful, synchronized fashion. Uh, they just have this amazing, they work, they're a tightly meshed machine and they, they can go anywhere. And they absolutely insist on looking forward all the time. So it carries us with them. There, there's no nostalgia bandwagon. There's no looking back. It's even hard for them to even celebrate the 40th anniversary because they're just so focused on the new album. I so respect that. But for fans, definitely myself, I absolutely, I get so much out of celebrating the past as well as the future and the present because the past is our story. We've been through so much with this band. They have overcome and conquered just like Duran fans have. So we've all kind of traveled this road together. I'm so glad that you you said about the fact of, of our musicianship because it's always been one of my pet hates that people sometimes dismiss them because I think they are really good musicians. I think they're really good songwriters. And there's very few bands in the history of music who have lasted 40 years. But not only lasted 40 years, you mentioned it, you know, that you could take Rio album, which is for me the best album of the 80s. Paper Gods in 2015, I would argue that that was as good as anything that came out that year. Now that, for any musician to be able to do that, is extraordinary. And do you know what, I always, I, I always find it quite exciting. The first track in an album is always the one that excites me because, you know, that sense of anticipation where you're, you know, and you mentioned the fact that Duran Duran, they never stand still, the album's always going to sound different. And Paper Gods was such a different song. I mean, I absolutely love that song. But it was quite yeah. exciting. It was kind of like... Slight apprehension as well. You're thinking, what, what am I going to hear here? And then you hear it and you're blown away. You're like, right, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, Paper Gods is a, is a great example. And they, I think that they acknowledge, they're very aware of what the fans, you know, where their hearts are and, and what the fans might be longing for. But they, I think they get a lot of enjoyment out of gently encouraging the fans into new territory. This is not the old Duran Duran. They're, I mean, it's the, it's the members, uh, there's familiarity, there's love, there's loyalty, there's history, but this is something new. And, you know, I think they get a lot of enjoyment out of that, reaching out to new audiences and coaxing fans who long for the old stuff into something new. And I, you know, there are certain, uh, definitely parts of recent albums that I've needed time to kind of get used to. I'm like, oh, I would love to hear another Rio. You know, I'm, I'm totally guilty of that. 
But then when I realized, okay, this is the same guys, it's the same themes of just soul satisfying positivity and optimism. And I mean, it's, it's all there. It's just a brand new menu and they're not afraid. They're not afraid to bring in artists as needed. I mean, they've talked about that so many times. It's just such a fantastic aspect uh, to how the band works. And so, you know, it's been cool to see myself stretched and pushed and, you know, I've had to learn to kind of broaden my horizons. And that's totally because of the band. Uh, Otherwise, yeah, I would love to hear, you know, Rio just like forever. But, you know, they, they are versatile. They are dynamic. They are just so bold and unafraid. Uh, And so I think what you're saying is absolutely right. I also think you've just hit the nail on the head that the bands who basically have a great album and then just try and reproduce it and reproduce it, they never last because as the fans get older, they want to hear something that might sound similar, but not the same. If they did try to just keep reproducing real, it would never have lasted. So as a result, I think they've obviously figured that out or they just just want to challenge themselves and each album's different. And every time I find myself pining away for, oh, you know, I wish they'd play more from, you know, the, an older album in concert, or every time it's like, oh, why can't they just sound the way they used to? You know, I try to remind myself what it must take to survive and thrive in a constantly changing musical landscape. The things they have to compete with, the changing technology, how they how to keep themselves relevant and fresh. I mean, you know, there, I remember back in the 80s, there were journalists who would just wait patiently for the next Duran album to come out and they would just slag them off, just like, oh, trying to pin them down in that 80s coffin. And Duran refused to be pinned down like that to their credit. And now those steadfast critics are just completely giving them credibility. They're like, okay, okay, you're right. Duran are still here, still making things, music that matters. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. So, I mean, it takes a lot to stay fresh when music and, and the times and technology, it's, it's, a, it's a river, you know? Simon said, you know, time is a river. It's like, yeah, uh, it's constantly moving. So, it, you know, they can't possibly, if any artist is to, is to survive and to remain vital, and Duran have never been more vital, it's absolutely incumbent upon them just abandon any trappings of the history or at least ad- adapt it to something new. Uh, if you stand in the same spot, you will be a dinosaur. That's just how it works. Because one of the things I was curious about, obviously you'd mentioned if there was a song, it was the reflex. Was there a moment when, obviously you're a fan, that when did the archive kick off? When did you start becoming a collector to the point where you have the best collection of Duran Duran memorabilia in the world? Well, I, I, have, to, I have to qualify, and this is just me and my, I guess, humble nature. I kind of uh, rebel against any assertion that I have the best or the biggest, because as soon as I say that, okay, someone else is made, you know, come out of the woodwork. And, you know, it's, to me, it's not, you know, it's not a sense of competition that I like to foster. And we all have collections that are meaningful, that are profound, or it's, it's part of our history. This is just, these are memories that we've collected. Uh, But in regards to my personal collection, I started out with the magazines trying to get as much as I can. Uh, and now I've ended up with you know, over 16,000 pages of material and it really paints this picture of how a band has evolved in the pages of journalism around the world. But it's, it's the, um, I think it was probably around 2001 when I put on my very first poster exhibition, I started to realize there's something bigger, 
that's being created rather than just this huge uh, reservoir of memorabilia. This memorabilia matters to people. These are memories. When I saw how a collection of posters on, on the walls of the gallery, all three floors were taken up with posters at this local, um, local venue. I saw there was about 100 people uh, showing up on opening night and there were adults arriving and then transforming instantly into giggling teenagers recalling their own memories with the band. That was so powerful and so magical. My mother saw it as well. She suddenly realized, oh, okay, these posters aren't just going under the bed or on the walls. There's actually something that he's creating. And so that really kind of fueled my sense of purpose. And I had a gentleman who uh, I miss him very much with my poster doctor, uh, Danny Stewart. Uh, he had a history with poster restoration and museum archiving. He really helped craft and guide my path, kind of going from just being a fan to an archival sensibility, being aware of how paper operates. It's organic. It absorbs elements in its environment, uh, how to preserve paper just right, how to store things, how to display and so I started to, my, you know, my sense of self, uh, the context in which I played out my passion for the band began to change and evolve. Uh, so it was probably around 2001 with my first ex exhibition when things really kind of achieved that focus. And from that point on, you know, every time the band would go on tour, I essentially had to go on tour right along with them. I mentioned that to John Taylor at one point. I was like, I have to get ready for a tour right along with you. Uh, contacting venues promoters, tracking down the press. I mean, it's, it's a constant vigilant uh, activity. And of course, having fans in other countries, I mean, that's, it's just been an amazing stroke of confidence and assistance because, you know, there's uh, how the band is represented and celebrated changes from country to country, even though there's a commonality. Uh, Argentina, Brazil do it very differently than the UK. So, I mean, it's, it's really a huge world encompassing effort to try to keep up with, with this band. Because I wonder as well, you know, obviously, as I say, I'm, I'm not going to have to come and visit this archive, but I wonder when, <laughs> what the thrill is for you when, when someone comes to visit. Because it's almost, it strikes me as almost like it's a form of time travel, because as soon as you step into that archive as a fan, you are stepping back into your past as much as the band's past. And that, for you, just watching that, that must be quite a, a nice experience to see how people react to that. Paul, I wish you could be a fly on the wall for when this happens. I mean, I will have people come to the archive and they just, sometimes they don't know really what to expect. They're like, okay, there'll probably be some you know, boxes of books and, and pictures and stuff. When the, the door opens and they're greeted <laughs> with this, you know, carefully assembled uh, picture right in front of them, there's racks of poster boxes and, and things that are set up for, you know, easy viewing uh, this huge, and it, it, it is, it, it's to a point where I, I tell them, you know, it's going to take a couple days to get a nice, you know, appropriate sampler plate because it, it's, there's just so much, but I, I see them and they just start melting into their happy place. They relax. They realize that this is something that, you know, it kind of, in a, in a very real sense, they're going to be visiting their own history as well as the band. They start to remember things. They see things they've never seen. They see things they used to have. And it comes with these beautiful reflections, these profound sentiments. It gets very emotional for me as well as the person. I mean, it, it's just, it's a, it's a real transformation that takes place. With, with my second book, the way, pe the way people remember things is, is really interesting. 
When I put out my second book, which focused on linking concert ads with memories from fans who attended the shows, I became very distinctly aware how people remembered. You know, the, the first thing that they would do when I would ask them for their memory is recite what the band did on that show. Oh, you know, Simon did this, and it was great when they played that. And I usually had to slow them down and ask them, you know, what were you going through when the lights went down? What happened to you when the band played your favorite song? And there were, I remember there was a fan from Italy who I was talking to. And when I kind of started to give her a little more focus, like, I want to know about you, that's when the tears started coming. And she's like, Andy, I haven't thought about this stuff in years. It just makes me, oh, it just bypasses any kind of, you know, defenses. I mean, it's just so, this is about what makes us all fans at the core. That's to me what matters the most. It's not, you know, who has the bigger collection, who has the most, you know, records or the most knowledge. This is about like, we all have this visceral emotional connection to specific records, to seeing the band's faces, to seeing our heroes take the stage. And when that finally happens again, when they're like next year, when they see them at Hyde Park, it's going to be otherworldly and yeah. so, so special. It's funny, as a, as a middle-aged man, if I go to normal gigs now, I actually quite like to sit. It's just like, I just don't want to stand for two hours. And my wife always uh, slags me off because the only time we go to a gig when I stand from the moment the band starts to finish is Duran Duran. Because the first time I did it, she looked around and she said, I thought you didn't like to stand at gigs. <laughs> this isn't just a gig. And it's not even standing, it's floating, okay? I don't even feel my feet at some point during the show. Yeah, uh, that's uh, absolutely. You know, I, I think that there was a, um, there was a, there was a fan in Argentina who recited this great story about, I think it was um, when the band visited the country and they were playing and all the organizers of the event had set out chairs for fans to sit in. And she would just laugh to herself thinking, oh yeah, in Argentina, we don't sit, okay, for a Duran Duran show. There's no sitting. And sure enough, when fans started coming in, they were just tearing up the, the chairs. And I mean, you cannot possibly sit at a Duran Duran show. There's just too much to get excited about. There's too much to celebrate. And the band will keep you on your feet. It is amazing. And then just to, to have that kind of energy shared on such a large scale. Someday, I really want to be part of the audience in Brazil, Argentina, Italy, with the chanting. Have you heard the chanting that goes on? Oh, it's just like, oh, my goosebumps just explode. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Can I tell you my other Duran Duran memory? The, I insist. Um, <laughs> it's part of my job. I work for, a, well, in America, you call it a soccer club in Glasgow. And we went to Italy once. We were playing a game in Milan. And we had gone the night before. We were doing some filming in the San Siro Stadium in Milan, where Duran Duran had played. It was basically we were filming a wee guide for supporters that were coming to the city, what to expect. And it was like a few facts about the stadium, mostly to do with football, soccer. But then I had mentioned the fact that Duran Duran had played there. And the crowning glory was I sang in the empty stadium. I sang Rio. And it was just like, it was the best feeling ever. I'm thinking, this is, I can't believe I'm doing this. And people were, some of these Italian, uh, the workers are, are walking by thinking, what on earth is he doing? But it was just wonderful. That's great. Oh, that's great. You know, that, that's one of the things that I've, I've encountered just that at one point, not so much anymore, but Duran Duran was the band that so many people loved, but a lot of people didn't want to admit to. For years, years back, it was just, it was ridiculous. But, you know, there was something there. 
But now, for the past uh, several Duran Duran Appreciation Days, uh, August 10th, I've joined with a friend of mine to put on a pub, very public rally in, in downtown Seattle. And I remember uh, the first two episodes we had, we just, it was just a small gathering of fans down there, but we were holding up signs and people would flock to us. They were like, oh my God, Duran Duran, I love them. Oh my God. It was just, people would honk their horns. Everybody seems to have a Duran Duran story. Some aspect to their own history that is just forever ingrained in, in their memory, just like they love the band, this song, that's an ordinary world. And I hear it from people with different generations too. And it's, it's so funny, younger fans will cite like more recent uh, songs as their favorites. They, they didn't grow up listening to Rio. It was, you know, Big Bang Generation or, um, you know, Medazzaland. I mean, it's just, it's so, everybody has a Duran Duran story. One of the reasons I wanted we wanted to start this podcast was really to celebrate, obviously, 40 years, the 14 studio albums, and then, obviously, the new album when that comes out. And it's been great for, for us just listening back through almost the musical journey of our life. And is it possible for you, are you able to pick one album that, if it was your go-to album in terms of Duran Duran, is that, is that like the toughest of all questions? It, it probably is. It's like a parent choosing a favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. um, I would probably, even though The Reflex is my favorite song and The Ragged Tiger holds such a special place, I think if someone were to come in from the cold and say, you know, what album would I listen to? Who is this Duran Duran? I probably would point to Rio. A lot of people would point to the first album, uh, which certainly has a very big, you know, new romantic impact. But, you know, Rio just seems to encompass so much of what the band has always represented, getting people on their feet, the positive energy, the optimism, the, the good fortune, I mean, discovering America. I mean, all of that, you know, I'm reading um, or hearing John talk about how the Rio cover uh, encapsulated all that energy when they were just coming to America for the first time. Every single song on the Rio album, it flows together. It paints a collective picture. They flow from one to the next in just such a, a beautiful, cohesive way. And every single song carries its own energy. It's just the whole, from beginning to end, it keeps you buoyed and just elevated. And I, I would probably say that seems to represent who Duran Duran is and has always been. And always, I always, if I hear any song from that album, it puts a smile on my face because I'm instantly transported back to 1982 and... I'm just thinking, what a great time that was. And, you know, I, I really I was talking about this uh, earlier with you. <laughs> this makes me feel so old when I talk about this. But, you know, I, I think about the, the youth of today, people who aren't being raised by their Durani parents, okay? Those unfortunate uh, kids out there who didn't know what it was like to grow up with this band in the headlines, on the airwaves, you know, creating amazing music and record sleeves and just so much, oh, so much positivity, you know, and, and they were playing their songs and, and just giving so much material out there to be interpreted and enjoyed. And it was just, I feel very fortunate to be, you know, growing up and to be alive during a time when Duran Duran was producing music like this. Uh, and I just don't think we'll, we'll see a band like this ever again, and certainly not in my lifetime. And I suppose like, as, you know, we've already spoken about this and the podcast is, as every fan, you know, we, we, we've got our favourite songs, our favourite albums, but the fact is, I think everybody has got a real sense of anticipation for the new album. It will be the highlight of 2021. 
And the exciting thing is we don't know what it's going to sound like. And that is that to me, that's the good thing about it. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I've, <laughs> I've had to pull myself a little hesitantly sometimes into that headspace where I'm like, okay, the unknown with Duran Duran is a good thing. It's, you know, to be explored, to be embraced. Um, but, you know, there is this, this tightness in my chest, like, okay, what can we expect? What's going to happen? But I know that whatever gets produced on a new Duran Duran album, it's going to be vibrant and rich and, and lustrous and just just full of things for us to wrap ourselves around and to hear over and over and over, uh, hearing something new every single time we play it. Uh, I'm looking forward to songs being on there that will just sound bigger than life when played at a live show. To see the band playing new music in a live venue, oh my God, I just, my, my molecules aren't prepared for it. It's so look forward to it. Uh, a brand new Duran Duran album, it's such a special, rare concept, right? Because it, it doesn't happen so often, but when it does, God, does it bring planet Earth together. We are all hanging together waiting for this, and it's going to be amazing. It is going to be amazing. I was going to ask you, actually, obviously, you're still very much involved with, you know, the new book and, and the response to Beautiful Colours. And as I said at the start, you know, people want to get the book. It's available to order on Amazon.com. Is that taking up all your time? Have you got other Duran projects that you, you want to get up and running as well at the same time? There are uh, lots of things, lots of ideas I have. Um, I would love to do more uh, Durani distractions and to explore, you know, more visits uh, with fans coming to the archive when that happens again. Uh, lots of things on my, on my plate that I want to uh, embrace. However, yeah, uh, there's about over 200 orders for signed books, which I'm just, I'm just reveling in. Uh, each signing takes about an hour because I just pour my heart out. I mean, this is not anything I do very lightly. Uh, so it, it's definitely taking up my time, the book sales and the promotions, uh, the connections. And it's, it couldn't, I feel like I couldn't be doing anything more worthwhile. So it's going to be the books for a while. But um, yeah, there's definitely, I would love to do a book someday that celebrates the band members' individual endeavors. And just imagine that, like just the huge multifaceted career that John has had. Uh, the things that Simon has done, Nick with Astronomia, and I mean, there's, there's oh, the posters that were produced for Interference. Anyway, I, I just, it's like down a rabbit hole, a draining rabbit hole. <laughs> but, um, what, what I think is nice is obviously you do this because you have that passion, but you've mentioned it already. It's because it's as much about the fans as, as about the band, which I think is so nice. And the fact is that obviously we mentioned that Nick Rose wrote the foreword, John Taylor, you know, has urged people. He said it's a brilliant thing, but you know, you mentioned 200 signed copies. It's the fact that the fans are responding. I, I can only imagine how that must make you feel. Oh, it, it's uh, thank you, Paul. I cannot talk enough about how much gratitude and emotion is wrapped up in every single order. I mean, you know, and there, there are fans that are purchasing books for friends, for spouses, uh, for other people who are suffering from something, you know, I've always been a little hypersensitive to the plight of other people, especially Duran Duran fans that are battling cancer, overcoming odds, a lot of, a lot of hardship out there. And to be part of someone else's thoughtfulness, to, you know, try to produce something and to, to give something back that actually can help add a little light amid someone else's darkness it's just, it feels like the mo most worthwhile thing I could possibly do with my heart, my time, my energy, 
Uh, and it's so profound. I mean, every single person that sends me a review or sends a picture of themselves holding the book or just expresses interest or encouragement, even if they don't buy a book, it matters so much. These are not just consumers or customers. These are my fellow fans. These are members of my tribe. And I just want to hug them to, to no end. It just yeah. matters so much. It's funny you, you use the word tribe. I always think as well, it's, it's almost like a family. It absolutely is. And I'm surrounded by people who just exemplify the strength and the courage and the resilience that, I mean, I aspire to sometimes. I'm inspired by my fellow fans. Uh, there's people who have just risen above such adversity and cited Duran Duran as one of the active ingredients in their recovery, um, the way that they just overcome things. That is so inspiring. And I would love to think that the band, maybe through my books or other ways, the band have become aware of the effect that they've had on the fans. Um, I certainly don't expect it, but I certainly try to celebrate because fans are so, they're so diverse and strong and brilliant. And um, oh, I'm getting the feels just talking about it because we have all hung together through so much over the past year. And I've really tried to you know, celebrate that and, and resonate. The, the, the Durani distractions were my, were my attempt to try to comfort people around the world, as well as comforting myself. Through those efforts and specific broadcasts that I did, I became acutely aware of what people have overcome in their lives. And um, it is really amazing and inspiring. And I just cannot say it enough. And every time I talk about it, I run the risk of ending up, you know, getting a little teary. <laughs> But it, it's just the most important ingredient in what I do. I would say maybe even eclipsing the band sometimes. These Durannies that I absolutely admire and am inspired by. You know, and, and, and that my, in my uh, brief talks with Nick, I mean, he's, he's talked about how, you know, there have been, uh, he has his own archive. His father just went, he was just completely diligent in, you know, getting as much memorabilia as possible back in the day and creating, you know, Nick's own archive. And, you know, Nick has talked about he doesn't have the amount of posters that I do. Uh, and someday I fully expect that, you know, my archive will be, you know, I'd, I'd love Nick to have it or to have it in a place that people could come and enjoy it for years to come. But for Nick to acknowledge there's things that he, in there he hasn't seen. I also share a huge affinity with John because John is also a fellow collector and he has a big appreciation for the nostalgia and mementos. And so, yeah, John and Nick have really, it's wonderful to share that kind of connection and uh, to be that engaged. Okay. Uh, but you know, even Simon and Roger have been, have been just wonderful, just very interested and encouraging. And it sounds like, for me, it sounds like somebody should take up this, this chat. A Duran Duran Museum. I think that sounds like a great <laughs> idea. A kind of like, like equivalent of Baseball's Hall of Fame. Somewhere right. where if you build it, they will come. Right. Yeah, I, that's been my fantasy for years. Oh, my God. Just imagine a, a point within the venue where you have to actually choose whether you're a power station person or an Arcadia person. And then depending upon your decision, you're taken down a different hallway and then you have to decide, you know, OK, are you a John girl, a Nick girl? I mean, oh, my God, it's, that would be amazing. That's totally a fantasy. Yes. Well, listen, hopefully somebody's listening. It will make it make it a reality one day. One of the things um, that we like to do on the Duran Duran Albums podcast is put people on the spot and get them to choose the three favourite Duran Duran yeah. songs. Now, you already mentioned how difficult it is to, you know, it's like parents choosing their favourite child. 
you know, you, you might choose three songs. I'm not going to hold you to it. If, if on another day you mentioned three different songs, I'm not going to email you and say, that's not what you told me. But the three songs that, that you've chosen, what are they and, and, and why? Okay, so the reflex, we've been there. Okay, it's just like, it's always at the top. Lonely in Your Nightmare is one that it has such a different vibe. And I suppose it would compete with like Saber Prayer for that one specific niche. But Lonely in Your Nightmare is... It's a song that it slows me down and gets me into a headspace that is, it's just so soothing and beautiful. And it's, it's, a, it's a haunting melody. Uh, and of course, I can't help but have the video playing out in my head as I hear the song. And the band just look amazing in that. I, I think that's a real capture of the versatility of this band. They can go from something like the Reflex, full of this energy, to something a little slower and melancholy like Lonely or Nightmare with a very like a lilting, haunting vibe. This is a band that is just capable of anything. And then uh, my third choice would be Leave a Light On. It perfectly captures the evolution of Simon LeBond's voice. I have never heard him sound better. So true, his, his vocals, his range has just exploded in recent years. Uh, and it's just, it's incredible. It's, I, mean, the, the, I don't think the English language has uh, enough words to describe this, or at least I'm not finding it at this moment. It is an amazing, beautiful, relevant uh, song that speaks to so many experiences, especially recent ones, talking about, you know, hope, having hope and, uh, and the comfort and uh, just still being there as a bastion of support for each other, getting each other through crisis and just making it sound like and we are resilient. We are stronger than we may think. We are more, we are braver than we realize at times when we need that uh, the most. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful song and, um, and, and performed in concert. I mean, it really, I, it, in many respects, I would probably say that is the, the more recent version of equivalent of Save a Prayer for me. I mean, just to hear Simon sing it is, um, it, it, my heart climbs out of my body. I mean, it's just like right there. It's like at this tender, vulnerable spot that Simon, is, his voice is wrapping around, like this enveloping me in this, this comforting embrace. It encapsulates everything that Duran Duran represents. And there was also, I think you wanted to give a couple of honourable mentions to other tracks as well. I cannot leave out Secret October. Oh my God, there's just... That's one of those songs that I just want. I, th- I think it should be a national anthem. I think I do, you know, Star Spangled Banner, love it. But Secret October, I think we, you know, maybe it's time to make room for a Duran Duran song as the uh, national anthem, maybe an international anthem, right? For every country. I find it extraordinary that that song, certainly the UK, it was the B-side to Union of the Snake. It would be in my top three and, and my one of my highlights of watching them live was the first time I heard them play that song live at a gig in Glasgow. And I was just... It was incredible. It was just that feeling of, I never thought I would actually hear them play it live. It was just one of those songs that I love playing, but then to hear the band performing it, it was just, it was the highlight of the show. Absolutely. It's mesmerizing. John's bass and Roger's uh, drums are just such a perfect animal in that. And then Simon's lyrics are just, in his voice, I, I feel like I want to sing it, but I would never subject anybody to that kind of pain. But I mean, it's, <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's, it's an amazing song. I completely... I did hear, I think it was uh, during, was it 2002? It was at, at the House of Blues uh, during the Pop Trash tour, maybe. Simon performed it live, acoustically. And it was, it was extraordinary. Warren just brought the house down with a 
Uh, so Warren and Simon just, it was amazing. And the other one you had mentioned to me was the night version of Hungry Like the Wolf. Oh my God, yes. That is just, I, am, I, I actually turn any immediate atmosphere that I'm in, any environment, could be the living room, could be the car, I turn it into a jungle and I climb through it just like Simon. I mean, there's, it's like, it's an amazing transformative song. The intro without any lyrics, oh, it's just invigorating. It's electrifying. It just completely wraps me up and just fires me up on all cylinders. It's, it's an amazing, just a personification of everything that Duran Duran represents. Oh, it's just such energy. I want to take it into high schools these days. And I'm like, kids, this is music. This is something you should be listening to. Well, do you know what? I can't believe that uh, I'm going to call time on, on this chat because it has been, I can't tell you how much of a blast it's been talking to you about Duran Duran. It's been just wonderful. We could go on for weeks and I should take you out for a pint. Oh my God. <laughs> it's been such a joy. Absolutely such a joy. And uh, I have to say, I wish you continued success with Beautiful Colours. Anybody who's listened to it or hasn't ordered it on Amazon.com, as soon as you've finished listening to this, log on, order it. And like Andy says, and like John Taylor and Nick Rhodes have endorsed it, uh, you will not be disappointed. Oh, my God. You're just so sweet. All your words, all your endorsement, that giving me this kind of a platform. It is a huge, tremendous gift and a pleasure and a privilege. And uh, I certainly look forward to keeping in touch. And, you know, just please know that you make a difference with your own passion and, you know, your connection with your son and, you know, embracing your own uh, love of music and your, that inner Durani in you. I mean, all of that is just, it's so beautiful. So I just thank you for sharing yourself with me as well. And, and at some point in the future, you are going to have a knock in the door and, and you'll be a, it'll be a Glasgow accent you'll hear saying, can I see your archive? I will be ready with Durant participation, <laughs> baby. Mm. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for joining us on the Duran Duran Albums podcast, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you can subscribe to the podcast and rate and review us, that will help other Duranis to find us. And of course, if you can spread the word about the podcast, all the better. You can also let us know what you think of the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Albums Duran or email us at durandoran at paulcudahy.com. Join us next time on the podcast. And in the meantime, keep listening to Duran Duran like some new romantic looking for the TV sound.